You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 53. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways, the ninth Doctor's regeneration story in two episodes. Uh, Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Good. And Jimmy Aiken. Howdy, Dom. So, guys, uh, uh, first, let me play the... We're going to c- cover this in two parts. We're going to talk about Bad Wolf first, and then we're going to talk about uh, Parting of the Way second. But f- before I uh, do that, le- let me kind of explain where we are uh, for new listeners. And I think our regular listeners are going to need to, to, to uh, <laughs> help, have some help understanding, because I know I did. Okay. So we're do, we're doing two things on the Secrets of Doctor Who right now before we get back to new episodes coming out of BBC Wales. We're covering we're, we're looking at all of the Doctor's re, re, regeneration stories, uh, which because of the way that they are created are out of order. We don't we we have the Eighth Doctor's regeneration and the War Doctor's regeneration were actually aired in 2013. The Ninth Doctor's regeneration aired in 2005. Okay. So it, we, you just have to accept that that's how <laughs> that's out of order. So we, well, we we watched a 2013 episode last time and now we're watching a 2005 episode now or 2006, I guess. Yeah. And Father uh, Corey last week pointed out something that I hadn't known that helps explain that uh, because the war doctor's regeneration is in the context of the 50th anniversary special and mm-hmm. Um, and they had originally wanted the three new Who doctors, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, and uh, Matt Smith, to be in the 50th anniversary special. But then Christopher Eccleston declined, yep. and to fill his place, Stephen Moffat created the War Doctor. Yep. Um, and I thought I, I had not been aware that that's the reason for the War Doctor's creation, but I did some research uh, in the last week and. That's absolutely correct. Stephen Moffat talks about that, and they even have some storyboards for the original version of the story they did with Chris Freckleston in it. And so I've got some links for those. I'll send them to you, Dom, and we can put them in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. I would love. I would. I mean, as much as I like John Hurt, I would have loved to have seen the Christopher Eccleston with the other two. So that's the f- that's the first half of the explanation. This other thing to keep in mind is we are simultaneously going back and going episode by episode through new who uh just like we have done with the 12th doctor when we start with the ninth doctor so that process is still ongoing and we we haven't yet got to certain episodes in that timeline of the secrets of doctor <laughs> who that are kind of c- connected to this episode these episodes we're talking about today so what you're saying is we pilot the, this podcast like the TARDIS. It, it, <laughs> exactly. It, it takes doesn't always us get us where we want to go, but where we need to go. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We're just, we're just kind of hitting that point right now. Where we're kind of crossing over and you, we could have chosen to just go back to new who and finish up the first season of new who, and then get to this, but we wanted to get all the regenerations done before Peter Capaldi's regeneration at Christmas. 
Yeah. Right. So we want it. This is where we run into this uh, little conflict here, <laughs> trying to get this all to work. So we're actually going to be talking about things in this podcast that we won't talk about the actual episodes until after Christmas. Yes. To make it even more confusing. I so mean, we'll it, try to bring that in a little bit, but. It's a cliche at this point, folks, but it, it, we're wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That said, all right, let's, now that we get that out of the way, let's uh, listen to the trailer for the first of the two episodes of Bad Wolf. That's impossible. They were destroyed. Obviously, they survived. Who did? Who are they? You are the weakest link. You are live on channel 44,000. Please do not swear. You have got to be kidding. That's a compact laser deluxe. Where were you hiding that? You really don't want to know. I need security and I need it here right now. What was that? She's been evicted. You've lost. Oh my God, you get executed for that? Let him try. Who's Bad Wolf? We have a security problem. Continue working. Infection in five, four, three, two, one. That is Bad Wolf. So uh, the name of the, the episode comes from the, the season-long um, hints, uh, the story arc, uh, I guess, where we've been seeing references to Bad Wolf the entire season. Uh, I think right from episode two, I, I don't know if it was in episode one, but right from episode two, there had been references to... And they were pretty subtle early on. Yes. They, yeah, get, there was kind of, the, the they get more obvious as we go along. I think I think the first one was the, the kid who spray-painted that on the TARDIS. Was that in the, the first... Museum later. I okay. think that's the first time we saw it, maybe, as I can recall. Because I know it was also in The Unquiet Dead... Um, the uh, the the uh, Irish girl who had the clairvoyance uh, when she was talking to Rose kind of uh, brought up I see a bad wolf or something like that. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. So um, so bad wolf it, it occurred throughout the season and and so it kind of reaches its culmination in these two episodes. So how, it starts with the the in fact, we've got a lot of ground to cover. So I'm not I don't think we should go through uh, you know step by step in the plot. Uh, there isn't a whole lot that happens in this first episode uh, of that really advances the plot. There's sort of a yeah. a, 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 a situation instead that's of, amusing. Yeah, instead of running through corridors, it's running around through game shows. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So, but the the basic the setup is. Uh, uh, the doctor, Rose, and Jack, uh, and Jack is traveling with the Rose and the doctor at this point. Um, they, Captain Jack Harkness, uh, who we will know well from Torchwood and all those other things, uh, they they've been traveling with the doctor, and as this episode begins, they've been separated from him. They don't have any memory of being separated, and they don't know where they are. Uh, they each awaken in, uh. A either reality TV show or game show that's recognizable to, well, maybe not to audiences necessarily in 2017, but in 2005, they would have mm-hmm. been recognizable. The Doctor is in Big Brother, which is still airing, uh, surprisingly. Uh, the Rose is in the, the TV game show The Weakest Link, which I think is actually still on TV, but in a different form. And then Jack is in a version of... Um, Oh, what's what it called? Not to wear. What not to wear. Okay. So was yeah. that an actual show? I, 
Yes. Um, I, that's the one I wasn't familiar with. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, apparently. Uh, I only know this because it says so in the TARDIS wiki. <laughs> I, I, yeah. it's, not, it's not on any channels yeah, I usually was, watch. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I, obviously, I don't watch the, uh, you know, Bravo or anything like that with the, you know, the clothing shows, and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess this was one of these shows where they would get people to pick out or, you know, they would take people and, of course, they'd completely remake them with new makeup and mm-hmm. hair and clothes and the whole works because, you know, what they were wearing was awful. And, of course, they got to wear all kinds of fancy, new, very expensive clothing to look good, and feel good about themselves, I guess. And and these these shows uh, the, that we recognize are uh, had both American and British versions, Correct. which Correct. so so it would be recognizable to both sets of audiences. Well, uh, just in different link, forms. Weakest Link and Bring Brother are both imports to from, the United States exactly. from the BBC. Yeah. They and actually, there. actually, there's a Doctor Who episode of The Weakest Link um, where they have actors and characters, including canine from the show, yep. um, competing on The Weakest <laughs> Link. And you can you can watch it on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, was it, that. it was 2007. It featured uh, David Tennant, John Barrowman. Nicholas Briggs, which would be awesome because it's, I can imagine him doing exterminate the whole time, and jo- yeah. and John Leeson is K nine. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we have uh, an android on the weakest link, which is not an android, but the android, which only makes sense if you know who Ann Robinson is, who was the yeah. host of the weakest link, whose catchphrase was to say, "You are the weakest link" in that cadence. So goodbye. Uh, <laughs> goodbye. Yep. Uh, so, um, as well as being viciously cruel to the contestants, right? Which, yeah. which, which you know, famously cruel, which kind of feeds into this idea, which is that these game shows don't end by you know with just normal eviction. These are uh, sort of a, a trope that you see a lot in sci-fi. These are games played to the death. If you lose, you die. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. which the Doctor and Rose and Jack don't uh, realize at first. Although I'm not sure. See, right away you have a problem because what not to wear is not a game show. It's a, it's just they clothe you. I, I'm not sure how you it's lose. A fashion show. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, they I, they build I, it in. Yeah. Well, I think that's really just a chance to have fun and games with Jack, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> um, it's it, there's yeah. no real competition going on there. Um, it's, so we see actually this trope of deadly game shows a lot in sci-fi, like The Running Man is another example of it. I was just it. thinking of that movie as well, yeah. The Gamesters of Triskelion. Yes. On the original Star Trek series. 20,000 Quilos. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and actually that connection really, uh, the Gamesters of Triskelion really harks back to where this comes from in human history. Because if you think about the gamesters of Triskelion, you realize what they're doing is gladiatorial combat. And that's really the origin of the deadly game show. It's not some new, twisted, modern thing. It's an ancient, twisted thing mm-hmm. uh, where you've had blood sports all the way through human history. It, it's also important that we need to sort of setting the stages, the time frame, that this is, this is on, a, on a space station orbiting Earth 200,000 years in the future. and 100 years after the events of the episode, The Long Game. Uh, and to kind of quickly recap, that is um, that would that's actually the next show, the next episode we would have talked about in our uh, uh, 
uh, Ninth Recap, Doctor re-watch. season rewatch. You're right. Um, where they end up on this uh, space station uh, that's Satellite Five. Satellite Five, right? And it's very powerful. And and uh, we, you know, without going into that, the at the end of that episode, the Doctor and Rose, um, uh, they 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 stop a conspiracy plot and move on. And it's supposed from the doctor says is that from here on the the the, the greatest um, flowering golden age of human civilization will occur, and so when they show up here, the doctor is shocked that because instead of the greatest flowering of human civilization, uh, we have the greatest couch potato civilization of all time. Yeah, it's actually it's gone worse instead of better. Right, and he thought it was gonna you know, things were gonna get back how it should be, and things have actually gotten far worse. And if you're trying to remember which one the long game is, it's the one with Simon Pegg as a vicious, frosty-haired TV executive who has a ceiling monster. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Although, I have to say, Simon Pegg is awesome, and no matter what he does, like, I, I, yeah, I kind of like Simon Pegg. Mostly. Mostly. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't a fan of the end of the world. Okay. Uh, all right. I have to admit, I, have, I haven't seen everything he's done. Everything I've seen him do, I've, I've enjoyed. Um so, yeah, so Satellite 5 is now called the Games Channel, and people are chosen at random from around the world to compete and forced to play to survive or die. Um, and if you die, uh, if you're eliminated, if you're, say, evicted from the Big Brother house, you are, well, they think you're disintegrated. But uh, uh, the doctor figures out, or Dr. and Jack figure out later on that uh, they're not, but in fact, they actually are. <laughs> That gets confusing. We'll talk about that in the second half of this episode. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting is this is this is a young woman. Oh, but by the way, uh, yeah. one aspect that's nice on this show that they play with is um, Rose initially does not realize that she's in the weakest link. Yes. And so she's and she's being presented with these questions that are futuristic and she has no clue what the answers to these questions are. But because she thinks this is a game show, she's just struck by the absurdity of the situation, not realizing her life is on the line here. Right. And they they really, we, the audience, know things are building to um, to real danger, but Rose is oblivious to this. And <laughs> it's a nice moment of the audience sensing tension that Rose is completely not feeling. And she's just laughing her way through this but, until reality hits home. Right. Until she realizes that she just voted not to have someone eliminated from the game, but to be killed. Uh, yeah. One of her, one of the, you know, the, the, the players in the game. Uh, yeah. That was actually a really good uh, buildup. I mean, the, that, that, Tension. It's like uh, Rose, Rose, Rose. <laughs> you know, try to yeah. try to you know get her to realize. Um, and then the the other fellow that's with her in the game who manages to keep her alive, only so that he can uh, take her to the end and then defeat her so that he can win. Which which is great because it's it really recalls the strategies that you often had we've often seen in different reality TV shows like Survivor. The, that whole like, uh, you know, I, I'm going to bring you along with me in order to eliminate you at the end so that mm-hmm. I'm the, I'm the, you know, the sole survivor of the game or that sort yeah. of thing. And that actually happens on The Weakest Link. Exactly. Uh, so um, at one point uh, with the doctors in the Big Brother house, there's a there's a young girl or not young girl. There's a there's a young woman there uh, who uh, she's very nice. Linda, Linda with a Y. <laughs> Linda with a Y. And. And it was very interesting to see the doctor um, uh, interact with her 
because he's very nice to her. He's very, you know, he, he goes out of his way to be nice to her in ways that later doctors wouldn't. Like, I, I think both the 10th, 11th, and 12th doctors, especially the 12th doctor, probably would have been a lot more brusque with her. Yeah, I think there's a really with her, because the doctor is separated from Rose for much of this, there's a feeling of Linda as a surrogate companion. And I think the audience is even meant to wonder, is she being set up to be a companion? Um, and and because the next episode is is titled The Parting of the Ways. And if you didn't know that it's Christopher Eccleston who's going to be departing, not Rose, you could think the reverse. Right. Uh, and so... Um there's a there's this nice moment where he's where uh he try to he kind of says to her try to, to try to get her to go with him he's decided to escape from the big brother house you know from what <laughs> i've seen in this world do you think anyone votes for sweet you know because you're so sweet uh yeah. and that's how he gets her to go he also say, he has another line where he says um uh he's never paid for his license he talks about uh uh, when oh, he's talking TV about game license. shows, right? And so yeah. that's a for American audiences. They, I think, they need to have that a little bit explained. Which is in Britain, in order to have television, you you have to pay a uh, essentially a government fee for your uh, television to, yeah. to in order to watch television. It's like supporting PBS, only it's mandatory. Yep, <laughs> right, right. And it's and it's by set too. And it's so if you know, you pay so much like for your first set, and then it's different rates depending on how many you have after that. Uh, this, yeah, it, there's benefits to it too, which is that uh, uh, British citizens can watch uh, uh, t- British TV on, or BBC on iPlayer on the internet anywhere. Whereas um, uh, we Americans have to kind of figure out how to get British television, uh, where, you know, exactly. uh, otherwise. Also, it's why a lot of British TV, at least on the BBC is commercial free. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we find out that there's, uh, there's this controller on the station, uh, and it's a woman who's basically wired into everything. Um, another trope that you see in sci-fi, the, of the, the human being who's wired in as the sort of the CPU of, of some and, t- technology. And goes crazy, kind of like the hybrid on Battlestar Galactica. Right, yep. right. And, uh, uh, the, the people on uh, Minority Report, the movie Minority Report, the, who can see the future. Uh, and she... We find out that she wants the doctor on the station and and uh, we get this. Um, we, we don't know why, but she, but we eventually figure out that that uh, she's being there's someone else who's almost literally pulling her strings and controlling her. Uh, we, and we'll find that out in the second half. Uh, obviously, everyone already knows. Um, meanwhile, so Rose is disintegrated by the android, as we think. We turns out. Uh, she's she's not disintegrated. She's been transmatted or transported, uh, like a like a Star Trek style transporter. Um, does anything need to be said about the Jack's little story? I, I have to yeah. say, I have to say, yeah, it was it was pretty juvenile and transparent. I I just I, it was a bunch of like naked jokes and a bunch of sex jokes, and I just was it, it just was blatant pandering. I felt like. Um, yeah, you know, Russell, Russell T. Davis fan service. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Much. 
Yeah. Uh, and possibly author interest, which is the reverse of fan service. Right, right. Uh, it, so it, it just, the sooner we got through that, the the better, I feel like, and the less said, maybe the better. I mean, it was just, it just felt awkward. Even, yeah. Uh, yeah we, we should say, I mean, th- this was dinnertime viewing, so it's not like explicit over the top sex jokes, but there's a lot of innuendo there. Yep. Yes. Exactly. Right down to him pulling a laser gun out of his butt and, you know. Yeah. Uh, they say, where did that come from? Yeah. And, and then, he's just uh, coy about it. I mean, even at one point he grabs the android, you know, in its chest. It's like, it's very, it's just, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe British dinnertime viewing has different standards, but. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, that's true. Um, one of the things uh, that I, I've noticed is. You have a show like The Goodies, which was a children's show back in the 1970s that would air on PBS here, and I would watch it. It was about three comedians who would do anything, anytime, anywhere. They were jacks of all trades. And it was a children's show, but occasionally you would get a shot of something that would, like, never air, just visually, sexually related, that would never air on American television. But then... You have a, an unusual, from an American point of view, British squeamishness about violence. So, like, the sight of blood on television is is not allowed. And sometimes when you watch shows, um, <clears throat> American shows on, on, on British television, like Babylon 5, where you have a scene where somebody, say, cuts their palm with a knife and lets the blood drip to make a point, that gets cut around in the British version. So you have American shows that um, are less explicit sexually and British shows that are less explicit vi- in terms of violence. <laughs> I guess it's, it says something about the uh, psyche of uh, each culture. Um, yeah. So you, the doctor and Linda and Jack uh, all managed to escape from their various games and they're running around. They get, uh, uh, they see... Apparently, uh, Rose disintegrated. They get they get caught, they, you know, by the security guards are taken to the control room where the controller is. I thought it was very interesting. This we, he confronts the staff who are kind of running things. Uh, he finds that one of them says, "Well, we're only doing our jobs," and and the doctor just so scathing. Yeah, only following orders. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, "You've lost mm-hmm. the right to even talk to me," by by bringing that up like it's just a very it's very scathing i mean it was very good uh, um it's a I, great comeback yeah yeah it is um and then we find out that the doctor um the, the controller actually used this transmat to pluck the doctor and rose and jack from inside the tardis uh from wherever they were traveling um because she needed him to, and she hit him inside the games uh, until she, until the solar flares occurred, which interrupted the control the, the 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 connection between her and whoever her unseen masters are, so that she could then talk to him because she needs him to help. Um, and you know, so it's not, we're supposed to think that the controller is a, uh, the the enemy, and it turns out she's not. She's actually she needs the doctor to help. Um, and uh, her hidden her hidden masters have been shaping the earth in preparation for something, and then we find out that they're the Daleks. That the Daleks, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the Daleks have survived the time war, 
somehow uh, more than just the one Dalek that was uh, underground in the uh, the episode of the Daleks. Um, and, Dalek. Uh, sorry, Dalek. <laughs> Confusingly named Daleks and Dalek. Um, and meanwhile, Jack works out that Rose is is uh, is not dead. That the disintegrator is instead a transmat, and it's sent her to the Dalek ships. And <clears throat> that's that's pretty much that episode. Uh, is there? Yeah. Any- Except we have one little speech by the doctor at the end. So he's separated from Rose. Rose is on the Dalek ship. The Dalek god is there telling the doctor, you know, you have no way to save your companion. You have no plan, no ability to harm us, blah, blah, blah. And then we get what may be the first, it's certainly one of the first, climactic Dr. Bragging Overdrive modes speeches where Christopher Eccleston is saying, yeah, and doesn't it just scare you? And he's bragging about how he's going to save Rose. He's coming for her. He's going to save her, even though he doesn't have any plan at the moment. And the Daleks should just be totally terrified of him. And and this this is a well-known pet peeve of mine, so I won't belabor it. <laughs> but at least it's not as bad here as it gets in some later uh, climax uh, cliffhangers. Well, yeah. as we'll see in the next episode, I mean, there's they kind of really build up this idea of the Daleks being physically scared of the Doctor. Uh, we'll see that uh, coming up. You know, where he'll just he'll turn and blah at the at the Daleks, and they'll they'll back away from him uh, as some scary uh, scary golem of some sort. Um, well, Christopher Eccleston is a little scary. I mean, just visually. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's intense. That's for sure. Uh, we, it, I mean, we, one thing that we really didn't mention apart from the, at the, at the beginning is, uh, bad wolf. Uh, we see that the corporation running the, uh, the game station is called bad wolf corporation. And that's what sort of triggers a memory from the doctor. Like, well, you know, why we, why do I keep seeing bad wolf, bad wolf, but we don't ever, there's no resolution to that in this one. And we get it in the next one, really. Right. And he's assuming it's part of the Daleks plan that right. somehow they're responsible for all the bad wolves he's been seeing. Right. Right. Um, so. That's that's bad wolf. Any, I mean, is, is there anything left to say? I don't think there's much. To, to, I mean, really, I feel like this episode, this you know, first half of the two parter was a, a, a something that's supposed to be a funny premise of what if the doctor were in a reality game shows of the future? And setting up the next uh, the next episode, which is the re- actual regeneration episode, and it wasn't much yeah, more than that in some gags. Yeah, it's just meant to be a fun setup for the real payoff, which is next week. Okay, so uh, that brings us to the parting of the ways, and for that, I want to play the sound of the trailer. Blythe Droog. What's it mean? Bad wolf. But I've heard that before. Bad wolf. I've heard that lots of times. The things you've seen. The darkness. The big bad wolf. Attention all personnel. Bad wolf one descending. Everywhere we go, two words following us. My masters, they fear the doctor. Tell me, who are they? They were destroyed. Obviously they survived. We have your associates. You will obey or she will be exterminated. Rose? Yes, doctor? I'm coming to get you. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. We are at war. 
There's an army about to invade this station. TARDIS detected! In-flight! Launch missiles! Exterminate! You can't! The TARDIS hasn't got any defenses! You're gonna kill him! You have predicted correctly! How did you survive the time war? They survived through me. I'm dead or about to die any second with no chance of escape. Okay, so the Dalek Emperor. Was that a thing in uh, in Classic Who? Did, did the Daleks yes. have an emperor? Okay. Yeah, they're an emperor Dalek. And and they also had Davros as a leader and and you know they have they've had various governing structures. <laughs> the, da- <laughs> the Daleks like to uh, change their governments uh, as much as the Italians do. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, the the Emperor apparently his ship survived the time war and fell through time. That's the explanation mm-hmm. that we have, and showed up here, uh, you know, in the post. Uh, satellite five uh, pre game station era of our earth's history. And they decide to set it up as a way to rebuild the Dalek race uh, through this very strange mechanism, which is um, the game station. When it, when someone is eliminated, they thought that they were disintegrating them. they weren't, they were transmatting them to the Dalek ships, but they weren't living. They were then breaking them down and using their cells to create new Daleks, which... And, and finding some tiny percentage of human cells that were then ones they could exploit and manipulate to make new Daleks. Right. Which uh, the doctor kind of points out is that makes you not pure Dalek, right? You should hate yourself for this. This should be something that has driven you mad uh, over the course of time. Uh, and as we see, it does. Right. Uh, yeah. The Emperor Dalek kind of gets this... Uh, I'm not sure why the, I'm not sure I kind of, I completely understood. Like I, I get why the regular Daleks are crazy, uh, but the Emperor Dalek is the same Dalek. So why is he crazy? Well, he's been through the horrors of the time war. Okay. And so that, that may be part of it. And he's obviously crazy. I mean, he's referring to himself as a God here. Right. And he ca- then casts the doctor in the role of the devil. Um, because in order, as we'll see, in order to uh, defeat the Daleks, the Doctor comes up with a plan that'll do it, but it's also going to kill everybody on Earth. And he's willing at first to do it because there are human colonies out in space, so mankind will survive, but there's a huge amount of collateral damage if he's going to take out these Daleks, who he believes are the last surviving ones. So we've got really high stakes set up for Christopher Eccleston's departure, which is actually something we probably ought to talk about for just a minute anyway, because it came as a surprise to a lot of fans. Up to now, most doctors had stayed around three or four years. Three Mm -hmm. is the classic number. Tom Baker stayed for seven. Uh, But nobody did a one-and-done single season of Doctor Who. Except for Paul McGinn Uh, with an asterisk. Well, I was was (laughs) going to say he didn't even get a full season. He just got a pilot movie. But of people who got a season, Christopher Eccleston is the first and so far only doctor to stay just a single season. And there was uh, there was uh, there were a lot of questions at the time. of Wait, why is he leaving? What's happening here? And um, the BBC initially put out a, a, a press release that wasn't actually truthful. 
and uh, Christopher Eccleston called them on it. And it's still kind of a mystery. But and Christopher Eccleston has because he's really washed his hands of Doctor Who and because he left so abruptly, a lot of people concluded that he must have been very dissatisfied with something. And even though he hasn't given a lot of details, he's a very private guy. He has said basically he had a conflict uh, with certain people who he doesn't name, but like about three people in upper management of the show. And he felt that in order for him to stay, he would basically be humiliated all the time and just have to eat dirt. And he didn't want to do that. And so he decided to uh, he decided to leave after one year uh, and then basically have nothing to do with the series after that. Yeah, I saw a uh, it was a recording of a radio interview he did. Uh, where he, uh, not that long ago, where he talked about it actually. Um, and, and basically said about, about that, that he, he had a conflict with the people running the show. Uh, and it just was not something he could continue to do. Uh, and, and it's not simply a, well, you know, this job doesn't, isn't working out for me. I mean, this, this must've been a, (laughs) a very, very bad falling out because he's like, you like you said, he's washed Mm -hmm. his hands of the, of the show. Doesn't want anything to do with it. Well, I I wonder if it's more than somebody like Russell T. Davies, uh, the showrunner at the time, because the fact that he's not willing to work with Stephen Moffat on it um, tells me that there's it, it has to be more than just the people actually running Doctor Who itself and maybe into someone in the BBC as well. Right now. Yes. Uh, now, he does say he's proud to have been the doctor. So it's not yeah. like he's dissing the character and saying it's a rubbish show. But he, there's something there that yeah. he's, you know, for whatever reason, doesn't want to fully talk about right. publicly. And, and I, I've, I've also seen, and he hasn't said this, but I've seen some historians of the show suggest that there may be additional factors that even though they're not his primary factor, which was the conflict, mm-hmm. there may be some additional factors that made this an unpleasant experience for him, like the fact that Billy Piper, who plays Rose Tyler, her marriage was falling apart during this season and she was kind of turning to him apparently for some support. And that could have been an additional drag on, on, on him during this time. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I did not. Yeah. That's that's the interesting behind the scenes sort of stuff that kind of, when you, when you hear it, it it kind of plays into a, a greater understanding. I mean, a lot of times people make assumptions, fans make assumptions about a show based on only what they see on the air when there's so much, usually there's so much more than the reality going on behind it. Yeah, I, I think the classic example of that is actually Babylon five, where they had a station commander played by an actor named Michael O'Hare in the first season. And then after the first season, he was gone and it was widely assumed that he was gone because the network didn't like the actor. But no, that wasn't it at all. After he passed away, the real reason came out. He had a, the actor had a psychotic break with reality. Yeah. And he was struggling with mental illness and barely hung on by his fingers to finish that first season. And it was just for everybody that just came totally out of the blue and put the whole situation in a new light to realize what a heroic struggle he had gone through to even finish that first season. That's right. That's right. I mean, and and a credit to the people who don't who didn't let it out, you know, who didn't yeah. you know make it make it a, a source of gossip. Although in the nowadays with the uh, Internet, I'm not sure that would be possible. 
So, yeah. so back to the story then. Um, it interesting that Jack at one point says the time war was a legend uh, that, that, you know, the, whereas as we see later on, uh, the time war was something that everybody remembered, you know, was, it's, it, it uh, affected people throughout the universe, uh, as we saw in the uh, uh, the the 50th anniversary sp- uh, special. Actually, in the night of the, doctor, night of the doctor, the night of the doctor, uh, where yep. where the where the eighth doctor encounters encounters someone who hates him because he's a time lord, because everyone hates the time lords and the Daleks for the war. So it's interesting mm-hmm. for that for Jack, the time war was a legend as opposed to this this big thing that that it had become. Uh, there was there was another. <laughs> I like to. I have a tendency to point out plot holes. Uh, why was yeah. did the TARDIS need to fly through space in order to have the missile shot at it? Couldn't it just dematerialize and rematerialize on the yeah, Dalek but ship? Then, but then visual effects. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that's that gone through the history of the show that they would for some reason the TARDIS would just be flying through space. Why? <laughs> okay. Because it does. Because it does. Okay. All right. It's this isn't uh, Star Trek. We're not going to get techno babble reasons. Uh, no. So <laughs> um, he he said the doctor does say that the time lords were destroyed, but they took the Daleks with them. Uh, but you get the sense, and we find out later, of course, as uh, in in later stories, that he was responsible. That you know that well, he's he's even said that in earlier stories. Right. Um, yes. There's one. Where, you know, someone talks about killing a Time Lord and he says, I killed them all. And so for some reason, they play that a little lighter here. Right. Uh, this confrontation with the Daleks on board their ship is very uh, interesting. Um, he call, you know, he kind of is doing that bluster that you're talking about, Jimmy, that like, I am the oncoming storm. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah. old, that old shtick that they that the, the ends up becoming a, a very, very common in uh, New Who. Um, you know, the legends of the Dalek homeworld, uh, uh, you know, remember me, uh, which is he would go back to the to to that episode, the Daleks of the first doctor, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm not sure he was the oncoming storm in that. No, <laughs> not so much. This is over time. This yeah. is over time. Yeah. So maybe in later episodes. Um, yeah. And the Dalek. You know, when he was sort of the old man whimpering in the in the cell. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, suffering from radiation poisoning, but the Daleks are cl- yeah, <laughs> the Daleks are clearly afraid of the Doctor. Like I said, like they have this mm-hmm. moment where they they all kind of move back away from him. Uh, we don't necessarily see that sort of reaction in the future future episodes. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Anyway, they manage to escape from the Dalek ship. Uh, he gets Rose, then they get to get her back on the on the TARDIS. Um, they they go back to the the game station to prepare for the attack. Uh, so they again, it's a base under siege story. You know, very standard story. Uh, the doctor is going to come up with a gobbledygook blah 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 thing to fry the the Daleks, Delta wave. a Delta wave generator. Uh, that will that uh for some um plot driven reason cannot be uh uh refined to only kill Daleks, but will kill all people. Um, because it plot tension. Um, well, I, I figured yeah. uh, what I figured with that one was more of a kind of like direct, uh, an omnidirectional versus a unidirectional mm-hmm. antenna, right? Where yeah. they didn't have time to set it up so it only shot towards the Daleks. That's kind of so I, I, that one I kind of I could kind of get where it's like you know instead of pointing directly at the Daleks and only the Daleks, the station was going to broadcast everywhere, including the Earth, right? Okay, right. Delta wave. Yep. 
Uh, and like you said, Jimmy, you know, he's he's still contemplating doing it because he knows that humans will survive in their colonies if they don't if they don't survive here. Uh, but it's important for him to kill the, all the Daleks. Uh, yeah, there's an interesting and, and that's that's actually a morally defensible choice, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, you collateral damage can be justified um, if the uh, if if the stakes are high enough, and to and so it, the chance to eliminate all Daleks from the future, given the nature of their race, um, is something that you you hypothetically could justify losing a large population in order to do that because they would kill all all humans everywhere. Uh, yeah, um, eventually, or kill far more than would be lost in the collateral damage. Right. Right. Um, so the doctor has this moment where he's flirting with uh, Linda with a Y. I, th- I thought that was very interesting. There's this very uh, this moment with a lot of romantic tension in it with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was kind of out, a little bit out of the blue. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so very surprised by that. And then um, he uh, he has he does say this one thing. He says, as soon as the TARDIS lands, Rose makes the obvious suggestion that every new fan will make, which is. Well, if you've got this problem, just go back in time and undo it. Uh, yeah. And she's suggesting he go back to when it was Satellite 5 and undo whatever he did there. Um, but the doctor says, as soon as the TARDIS lands somewhere, it fixes the moment in the timeline. This, this, is, this is a standard part of Doctor Who lore, right? Uh, this comes and goes. Okay. Depending on, on the needs of the situation. And <laughs> well, this, so. And this is where you start hearing the things of like the... You know, the the hard points in the timeline that they can't affect and, you know, they'll have dramatic tension as the doctor's trying to break through it and stuff like that. Yeah. They haven't really coined the term fixed point in time yet. Uh, that's from the Matt Smith era. Mm-hmm. Or actually, I'm sorry. No, that may be in the, in the uh, David Tennant era, but, um, but they do at times have the idea we can't interfere with this for whatever reason. And and they never dwell on it too long, because if you do, it'll contradict the places where they do change history. Honestly, if 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 they were allowed to do that, like, you know, that they could change anything at any time, it would completely destroy the show. There'd be no tension. There'd be no drama. Um, Yeah. And but what happens next is what's really significant, because then the doctor makes a counter proposal to Rose and says, you know, what we could do is just get in the TARDIS and leave and let history take its course. And why he would say this to her is is fascinating to think about, because her response is, oh, but you would never do that. And he says, no, but but you didn't even think of it. And she says, oh, I'm just too good, I guess. And that's all very interesting, because he did think of it. And she has confidence that he won't do it. But the fact he thought about it and proposed it to her, and we know he's got this huge weight on him of this moral choice he's got to make. The thought of, I think, I think it's defensible to say in this moment, he was thinking about just leaving and, and was asking her, if she, about that and proposing it to her seriously, and she pulled him back from doing it. And then that becomes why he decides she's just too good to even think of this. 
he can't let her die, and that's what he does next, which is shove her into the TARDIS and send her back to her own time. Uh, so can I offer an alternate theory, which is yeah, the Doctor had already decided that he wanted to trick her back into the TARDIS and send her back to her time, and mm-hmm. the first attempt was to try to convince her, well, let's go together, that he never would have gone with her, but it would have at least tricked her back into the TARDIS using that as a as a trick. It's possible the consequence of that would be as soon as he, if he's planning on staying, then as soon as he ditches her in the TARDIS, um, she's going to despise him for thinking you're, we're going off together to live together. She's going to feel morally sullied well, but, by that if, if yeah. he then chooses to heroically stay when he got her to agree to this in terms of let's run away together. I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, I, I suppose that could be how she would feel and, and maybe that would be, maybe would be worse. And she's a better person than that. Uh, well, so in either way, he does but trick her. Either way, it's fascinating to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, he tricks her on board and then uses the Sonic as a remote control to send the TARDIS away. Which also means that uh, he and Jack are stranded. They're they're not mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to leave. Um, and she gets an emergency message telling her to go home, forget about the TARDIS, forget about him, and let the TARDIS sort of molder away on a street corner and die, uh, and that no one will notice it. That it, because I mean, let's let's be honest. The, the TARDIS must have a perception filter of some sort. You know, we've seen perception filters for yeah. this thing to not be noticed everywhere. And I think they've used that. They've used that before, something like that, because you know they land in downtown Cardiff. That's a later episode or earlier episode to this, but later ep- it's the second Slitheen appearance, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> and he kind of mentions about like that. They're sitting literally in the middle of Town Square, Cardiff, and nobody notices it. And right. The doctor says something like that. Oh, it's got a perception filter, or people just don't see it, or you know, something like that. Some. some well, the com- the chameleon circuit is designed to be that. Um, but I don't know if it has a perception filter, it's spotty because a lot of times people do notice it. Exactly. But, um, I, I don't know. I think they're probably just inconsistent on that. Uh, but you know, I can, you could imagine, well, okay, if it was sitting on a street corner, what would happen? Well, eventually people would say, okay, here's this out of date police box. Let's take it to a junkyard or a dump or something. And it'll end up getting buried. And, you know, even though his details aren't all there, you know, something like that scenario would happen because they wouldn't be able to get into it. Right. And so it would have it would probably just end up in a dump somewhere. I wonder if when when it's done, it finally broke down, whether it's uh, it would return to this dimension entirely. <laughs> this giant spaceship <laughs> yeah, exactly. In a, sitting in a dump. Anyway, that's a little bit of speculation. So, hey, well, Rose. Well, that's 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 what happens on Trenzalore the first yeah. time we see it there. Oh, true. That's true. Um, so Rose is uh, sent back to her time where she meets up with Mickey and her mom, Jackie, and has this existential crisis and survivor guilt of and, and a little bit of the feeling, the loss of the better life she was had as a doctor's companion as she's faced with this now mundane daily nine to five that she's going to have to return to. 
And there's a really interesting moment in the writing here, because when she's having this conversation with Jackie and Mickey, um, the there's a tension happening between a couple of levels of the show and reality, because for us, the viewing audience, this show is escapism. It's the way we get to go to exotic places and meet exotic aliens and stuff like that. And that's a big part of what makes the show fun for us. But if that's what it's all about for Rose, and if that's the thing that elevates her above her ordinary life, Mm -hmm. then we, the audience, are going to come off like Mickey and Jackie as these shallow little people who, you know, don't have the exotic experiences that she has had that set us apart. And so Russell Davis has a really interesting challenge as a writer here for how does he how does he get Rose pining for this other mode of existence without insulting the audience mm-hmm. and dissing all of our lives as being like Mickey's and Jackie's. And the way he does it is by having Rose say the meeting aliens and stuff, none of that matters. What made that other mode of life better is not the exotic stuff. It's the taking a stand, the moral dimension of the other life, of making a difference and taking a stand and accomplishing things. And that's what made that other mode of existence attractive to her. And in doing that, Russell Davis does neatly kind of split the Gordian knot here, because really for us in the audience, it's both. It's both the ennobling aspects of the of the drama and the exotic aspects of the drama. And he kind of cuts the baby in half here. It's that would be Solomonic. Um, And, and it's still a little uncomfortable, but he manages to do it in a way that doesn't just insult the audience. Yeah. I mean, it's, because the audience, you know, everyone who's watching this can take a stand and make a difference. I mean, that's sort of that idea is that the, the, the heroic call, you know, the, the audience is being called to, to be heroes in, in their own lives. You know, no right. matter what your life is, is she doesn't have to be a nine to five, uh, go, go to work, come home and re, you know, repeat. It's can, yep. you can stand up and make, make a stand for some moral thing, some important thing in the world. Whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, what, what I found interesting was Jackie was, kept wanting Rose to give up. And she, in fact, she was making the argument that the, that the doctor was about running away. Just run away and let it, let it happen mm-hmm. uh, the way it's going to happen. And I found that interesting that she sort of, that Rose, you know, again, has to reject that argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, On the other hand, we get a neat side to Jackie now that we haven't really seen in this way before, where she says, you know, I've hated that man, meaning the doctor, but I love him right now because he kept his word and sent you back to me safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And we get a positive, you know, sign from Jackie, who's been a largely right. unsympathetic character up to this point. Same thing with Mickey. And now mm-hmm. both of them, after Rose has her call to heroic action speech. Now both Mickey and Jackie start rising yep. to that challenge to help Rose get back to where she needs to be. Yeah, this is this is where I really see that they kind of turned the car- corners on these characters. 
where instead of being, you know, Mickey's the comic relief and Jackie is kind of shrill and, you know, her character, that they really started getting more um, more deaf. comfortable with the characters yeah. and mm-hmm. and would get out and contribute to the plot, contribute to the to what was going on, you know. And yeah. I, I really feel like this was kind of that turning point for those characters. I really think they don't always do. Like in the most recent season of Doctor Who, Bill's mom and Bill's stepmom mm-hmm. are still just ciphers to us. Right. I mean, or well, one is a cipher and one is a stereotype. But, yep. And and they never do more with either of them. Uh, nope. It's one of my great regrets for this uh, that season, uh, just to kind of uh, talk about something uh, different. It was it was how they kind of just left those threads uh, hanging. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, I mean, we still got one more episode for the Christmas special. Maybe they'll tie him up. But for for all his talk about wanting to tie up loose threads, Stephen Moffat left those <laughs> two hanging. Uh, the but, whole story yeah. of Bill was kind of a loose thread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I got to say, like w- with Mickey, especially here, I felt like Mickey was very heroic in this. I mean, because mm-hmm. Rose didn't even notice how much she kind of hurt Mickey here by kind yeah. of, you know, rejecting him, saying like, oh, you know, I, I can't stay here with you. I mean, poor Mickey, mm-hmm. like, uh, what can I offer that isn't the whole universe? Um, and, and she kind of hurts him and he, and she doesn't even notice. And yet right. because of his love for her, he continues to help mm-hmm. her. Uh, and isn't, mm-hmm. isn't this a theme of the, some of the female companions? Uh, I mean, Amy will be, will, will do the same thing over and over again. Doesn't she, she hurts, yeah. you know, they, they, she hurts Rory over and over again. And yet he loves her and stays with her. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. don't know what the, uh, the, the writers of Doctor Who are working out in their own lives. <laughs> but, but <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's a, a natural product of the tension between the doctor as the, overpowering, you know, romantic lead. I mean, he's just such an exotic guy. There's always going to be romantic tension between the doctor, a male doctor and a female companion on, you know, that's a natural engine of drama to explore. And then what does that do to the other male relationships the companion has? And this, you know, I mean, this is a classic story, not just for science fiction, but throughout lots of fiction, you know, the story of, you know, think of like the teen romance where the, you know, she's attracted to the star football player and kind of the nerdy guy in the corner that will do anything for her. And she just kind of yeah. brushes her off. I mean, there's so many different ways that this story goes. This is this is a classic trope in fiction and frankly, in real life as well. I have a feeling yeah. that there are many listeners to The Secrets of Doctor Who who could identify with that. that exactly. <laughs> have been there. I mean, I'll, I'll raise my hand on that one. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> Uh, but it gets better. It gets better, kids. Uh, so, um, so Rose uh, notices Bad Wolf finally. She sees Bad on the on this playground. She sees it written everywhere. She realizes, uh, like we played in the trailer, all those instances from previous episodes about uh, of seeing Bad Wolf encountering the phrase, um, and then she realizes it's a it's a message. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I don't even remember really how she gets from that to I need to make the TARDIS take me back. She sees, she realizes she's seen it on satellite five in the future where the doctor is Mm -hmm. because the bad wolf corporation was running that satellite at the time. And so it's connecting her world in the here and now to that moment in time. And thus she reasons she needs to go back to that moment in time. Okay. Okay. So, and then she kind of comes up with this idea that if I, the, the TARDIS is telepathic 
And she remembers a moment when the console was open. Uh, you could access directly the heart of the TARDIS. Uh, and so then they go through these uh, various uh, means to open up the console. Um, well, you know, yeah, the, the, they, their they first mistake they tried with a, with a mini Cooper. <laughs> yeah, that's got like a whole yeah. hundred horsepower on a good day. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I was I was watching that and you've got all this smoke coming out from the front of it. And I'm going, what, do they have front wheel drive cars in England or something? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if uh, uh, if that was an actual mini. Um, <clears throat> so it may have just been the engine overheating. That may have been what that was. No, I, that was there was by. rubber behind the tire and everything. But I thought yeah. minis were front wheel drive. Maybe not. Maybe they are. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm. They could they could I, have I built a, built one uh, for the uh, episode as a stunt vehicle, yeah. perhaps. Um, I thought it was very dangerous for her to stand near that uh, cable or the the chain, which could break it any yeah. minute. Uh, don't do that, kids. Um, so she she gets the console open and stares into the time vault and gains superpowers. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how that works. Yeah. So, so apparently we're meant to understand that she absorbed the energy of the time vortex, which, as the doctor says, nobody's meant to do. Certainly no human is meant to do it. They do have a moment, we later find out, where as children on Gallifrey, when you're like six, they have you take a glimpse into the time vortex and it changes you, and some people run away like the doctor did, and some people go crazy like the master did. And so it it does have, it, it apparently is something that the Time Lords see value in doing, but certainly no human mm-hmm. is meant to do that. And so it's just going to be overwhelming for Rose. She ends up absorbing the ability to manipulate the time vortex in in a very powerful way so she can just wave her hand and disintegrate the dalek fleet um but it's there's going to be a huge price if she doesn't get rid of that and it's actually something they kind of draw on later with uh donna noble with donna noble's departure as a character she's done not the same thing but it's another human time lord hybridization and and in that case, it, her mind does start to burn. And Christopher Eccleston tells Rose, you're going to burn as a result of this if if I don't take this action. And so he kisses her and we have a companion kiss that nobody freaked out about <laughs> and on the lips, you know, and he absorbs the TARDIS energy into himself, right. which he's able He's at least he's gotten it out of her. So she's going to be OK but now he has to deal with it. Yeah. Right. So she actually says at one point, I am the bad wolf. I create myself in in a sense mm-hmm. she, that she scattered the bad wolf message throughout time and space. Uh, and and this is unclear to me exactly who bad wolf is meant to be, whether it's meant to be the TARDIS or the Vortex or Rose or, or the combination some other entity all, or some yeah. combination. It's kind of unclear. Yeah. It's, now, before we go too far into this. Um, yeah. We kind of skipped over a little bit that was kind of, that was actually important for later on and then for Torchwood. Um, yeah. You know, so the Daleks reach the station as all this is going on with Rose. The doctor's trying to set up this wave, the Delta wave and everything, and they're vainly fighting. I mean, it's it's a waste of time to try to fight the Daleks, but they're trying. And they're going, well, you know, floor by floor by floor, exterminating. Except for and, the, the people who are cowering, who then, because yeah. of their cowardice, get completely unheroic deaths. Yeah, they get the unheroic deaths. Everybody else gets the heroic death, including Captain Jack. 
You know, he's kind of like last man standing before they get to the doctor. Um, and I say that's important because now we're talking about Bad Wolf, about the the uh, time vortex, and she gives him back his life. In fact, she yeah. resurrect. Does she resurrect everyone who got killed? We only I, see him. Yeah, yeah. I think we only see him. And and I say that that's important because later on it plays into the 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 plot of Torchwood and a lot of the stuff right. that happens there. Well, Be- it, because of this event, Jack is incapable of dying again. He is essentially immortal and, until he wastes away. As spoilers, well, the face of Bo, the face of yeah. Bo. <laughs> well, he's immortal, already, immortal, yeah. but he's not because he does die, but he comes right back to life. Right. Yeah. Right. They'll shoot him and he'll die. But then like five seconds later, he takes a breath and he's back. Okay. And I think, do, do I understand correctly? I've never really watched Torchwood, but do I understand correctly? It gets more painful for him each time. I think they do, they do show him in pain and things like that. I haven't watched a lot of Torchwood, yeah. but just like where he's appeared on Doctor Who after mm-hmm. this point, you know, they talk about that too. Right. So it's yeah. so it's the time the the time vortex energy that resurrecting him as a human yep. being that gives him this almost a sort of like regeneration that's not really regeneration but resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, resuscitation at least. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. The incidentally, there's one other uh, moment in there that's important where the the Dalek. Um, uh, the Daleks have arrived and the doctor has completed his Delta wave broadcaster and, and the Dalek emperor calls him on it and says, so what are you going to do? Are you going to, you know, I want to see you do this. I want you to be like us mm-hmm. in doing this hideously destructive thing, or are you going to be a coward? Yeah. And when the doctor finally has to make the choice, he balks and says, I'm a coward. And actually says it in a kind of vulnerable way and does not go through with the morally defensible, if uncomfortable, choice of having massive collateral damage in order to stop an even larger threat to the universe. Which which at the time seems uh, uh, contradictory to him destroying the Time Lords in order to kill the Daleks. Well, if you're willing to destroy the Time Lords, but you're not willing to destroy, you know, destroy the Earth. But we, if you put it in the context of uh, the the day of the doctor, maybe there's a part of him that re- that that remembers that he isn't that killer who destroyed an entire world. Yeah, or even in the first version of this timeline before Day of the Doctor happened, the fact he'd done it once. I mean, you can do something once and say, "I don't want to ever do that again." Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That he 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 regrets it and will never go that far again. So the doctor has absorbed the uh, the time energy from Rose in the most epic kiss of all time, uh, and <laughs> I think Wesley and Buttercup is more epic than that. Okay, yes. there there have been three epic kisses, uh, and this is one of the other ones. Uh, yes. So as Rose uh, falls unconscious, the doctor releases the vortex energy back into the TARDIS. Uh, and the t- and they leave on the TARDIS as poor Jack makes it to the control room only to see the TARDIS dematerialize without him. Like, oh, yeah. he, he's like the forgotten companion in this. I mean, the doctor brings him here and he just gets dumped twice because yep. he puts Rose in the TARDIS to save her, but not Jack. <laughs> and now he just like forgets about Jack and goes off with Rose to regenerate. And Jack is left <laughs> stranded. 
Well, we have to pres- presume Jack. that uh, the doctor didn't realize that uh, Jack was uh, resuscitated. A lie. That could be. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, as, as uh, Rose awakes, she doesn't remember what happened as the bad wolf. Uh, by the way, I, I forgot to mention. So the bad wolf is, is a, that whole sequence of I create myself throughout time and space is a, is a trope that's going to come back again with Clara. I mean, she essentially mm-hmm. is, it's the same thing again uh, that we see with Clara. She appears throughout time through the doctor's timeline in different ways. And then, you know, she, the, his timeline is fractured and she well, saves him and, and all those the, things. The, we had the cracks in time and doing the same thing. I think that's, a, that's kind of, the only exception I can think of is the vault. Um, but in all of these others, because it's a time travel show, because the doctor's going to all these different places and times, you have to find ways of getting the running season arc right. to show up in glimpses in all of these different times and places. Uh, the vault is the exception. And actually, that was something that, you know, they took something of a risk because fans could start saying, oh, the vault. We're this is why Nardole is always harping on we need to stay here and not have adventures because we're too tied to this one location. Right. Okay. And so it was actually a good thing they paid off the vault in midseason so we didn't have to keep wondering about that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So the the doctor says, uh, you, you explain to Rose what happened. He says he sang a song and the Daleks ran away, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is, is funny. Um, and then he he notices the regeneration energy in his hand. Um, what, what's it called again? That uh, Artron energy. Artron energy. One of these days I'm going to remember that. Uh, and then he talks about the places he would have taken Rose, uh, the planet Barcelona and stuff. So he knows that his regeneration is about to begin. And he's, he kind of tries to prepare for it. Well, that should just come around out and telling her. Uh, and then, yeah, because and this is this is totally new for Rose. She hasn't encountered the concept of time lord regeneration before, right? And so he regenerates. Uh, the first thing that David, that the the tenth Doctor says is, uh, "Was it something about the ears? New teeth? New teeth? New teeth? That's what it is." Uh, <laughs> uh, he finds his new teeth weird, uh, and that's it. Then we end uh, this episode. And and actually, so I love the the new Doctor silliness with the new body part. That's a recurring theme we get going mm-hmm. forward um, about how the new body is different than the old one. And it makes sense. I mean, I don't know if you've ever not been to the dentist for a, a while, and then you go in and they scrape all the stuff off your teeth, and it does feel different. It's like, yeah. wow, I've got – it's like new teeth. Mm-hmm. And so I can only assume that's – Russell Davis is drawing on his experience going to the dentist there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, go ahead. And point out, too, that this regeneration sets the sequence that they follow afterwards for at least the appearance of it. You know, the the glowing yellow. Whatever your arms out, your head and your everything. You look kind of cruciform. Yeah. Yeah. So this kind of sets the the pattern that they use from this point on. Right. As we've seen from the our previous or eight previous uh, uh, regenerations, they have not uh, to this point, I don't know if any two have been alike. Uh, uh, No, they've they've been different. There's usually a visual effect. Right. uh, Including glowing, going all the way back to the first one. But it hasn't been this kind of explosive fountain of energy that we get here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention one of the things that he says, uh, the Ninth Doctor's last words to Rose are, uh, before I go, I just want to tell you, you were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And you know what? 
so was I, and smiles. And you know what? It's very interesting because this of the of the you know we don't we haven't seen the twelfth Doctor's regeneration yet, but we know that he's resisting it. Uh, but with ten and eleven, both of them were sort of I don't want to go. This is this is premature. This is something I don't want to happen right now. Uh, and so it's very interesting to see like at this point, the the Doctor is sort of like yeah, let's do it. It's time to time you know mm-hmm. time to time to do something new. Uh, and I thought that was very interesting to to see that. And again, I should point out this was my first experience of a of a doctor regenerating when I saw this episode, and mm-hmm. I was very confused. <laughs> I'm like, what now? <laughs> yeah. In so in in terms of interpreting Christopher Eccleston's departure as you know, let's do this. In terms of his character arc, I mean, he doesn't remember being the war doctor, uh, or he doesn't remember turning good as the war doctor. Mm-hmm. And so he's been carrying around the guilt of the time war and he in this incarnation, and he has been a kind of brooding doctor who only has moments, you know, flashes of positivity. Um, but here, what he's done is he's just avoided doing what he did in the time war and it worked out anyway. And he's just saved his companion Rose and so it's kind of like he can feel morally redeemed to a certain extent at this point with that kind of triple win. Um, he Victory over his own past, victory over the immediate situation, and victory in terms of saving his companion. <clears throat> and so he can feel good about, okay, I'm going out now, I'm going to turn into someone else, but I've got this triple win. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other last uh, thoughts on this before we wrap up uh, these two episodes? So, uh, so I guess, I mean, that's it from us on this. What did you think of Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways? Uh, uh, let us know. Uh, visit us at tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, remember, you, you can support us by uh, going to tridio.com slash donate uh, and making a donation of any amount. All donations help us no matter how much you can do. We really appreciate it. Um, and, we, and they're tax deductible. And they're tax deductible. And we need your prayers. Uh, those are not tax deductible, but your prayers for for our mission. Are, <laughs> those are not taxed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, those are those are also most appreciated for the success of our mission at uh, Tridio.com. Uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our sh- and our show notes uh, on our show notes at Tridio.com. I can I can talk. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the tenth Doctor's regeneration in the episode End of Time. Uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining us in the sharing of the secrets of Doctor Who. Well, you're welcome. Always glad to be here. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. My pleasure. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, you are the weakest link. Knew it. Knew that was going to be it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.